Good to be here? Amen. Good. Would you please take your Bibles and turn to Hebrews chapter 6. Hebrews chapter 6. <coughs> haven't told Leroy this yet, but I'm a little nervous having the kids come into town and <laughs> to see us. We're going to put on our best face forward, but this is us, so we're glad you guys are here. Our theme of direction for this year, as God has been speaking to us, has been concerning new life in Zion. Experience the new life that he has for us in Zion. Last year, we looked at this theme, and God really brought that about, is finding our hope in Jesus, hope in Zion, Zion's hope, what God wants to do, and keeping our hope up in the midst of a very hopeless, in the middle of COVID and all that stuff a year ago. And here we are in this year, and uh, it's time to experience the new life of the Lord. But this last year, it was this, Hebrews 6, 19, we're going to read it. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where our forerunner, Jesus, has entered on our behalf. He has become a high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. He is our hope. Back at verse 18, it said, God did this so that to, by two unchangeable things in which it's impossible for God to lie. We who have fled to take hold of the hope set before us may be greatly encouraged. Finding our hope in the Lord Jesus is the place where we find our great encouragement. And now as we come into this year, and we've been in there about a little over a month and a half now, but I think it's important that we grab hold of what God wants to do in us in a fresh and new way. Uh, go to Psalm 63. Psalm 63. I'm going to be a little bit all over the place this morning, but I do want to share some things on my heart. But Psalm 63 in verse 1, this is when David was uh, in the desert of Judah. He was out in that desert region, but he said this, You, God, are my God. Earnestly I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you in a dry and parched land where there is no water. I've seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and your glory because your love is better than life. My lips will glorify you. I will praise you. As long as I live, and in your name I'll lift up my hands. I will be faithfully satisfied as with the riches, I will be fully satisfied as with the riches of foods. With singing lips, my mouth will praise you. Thirsty for God, longing for Him. And, and the development of the last several weeks has been that matter of the woman at the well and Jesus at the Feast of Tabernacles, where the woman at the well said, uh, if you're thirsty, come to me and drink, and I will give you water that will spring up in you to eternal life. That Jesus promises water that's going to spring up into eternal life. And then we looked at John chapter 7 when Jesus said, if you're thirsty, come to me and drink. And out of your, you will flow rivers, John 7, 37 through 39, rivers of living water. And this he spoke concerning the Holy Spirit. So that matter of of allowing God's Spirit out of us to flow, it will be a river of living water. And last week we talked a lot about what that river is going to do as it goes out. It's going to touch the nations. It's going to move ahead. Well, we live in a very uh, wonderful time. I think uh, most of us have thought it's a terrible time. But I think I'm beginning to see, get new hope, that it's a time when God is moving across the earth. He's moving in many, many places. And uh, many of you have followed this and are continuing to follow. And I just want to bring it to your attention 
Because it's birthed out of this same heart. I'm thirsty for God. I'm thirsty. I, I want you. I need my heart satisfied, as, as David the psalmist said. I, I need to see you in that place, and you're there. But since February the 8th, just about 10, 11 days ago, at Asbury University, there was a chapel service that ended up beginning a time of, of these last 10 or 11 days of God visiting people in a marvelous, marvelous way. They're calling it at the Asbury University in Wilmore, Kentucky as a move of God, a sovereign move of God, revival possibly. We're going to see how it all turns out, but it looks like God is reviving people. A sovereign move of God. People are hungry for God. It's simple. It's humble. It's ordinary with repentance, which is not so ordinary. People are really repenting of their sins. Young people are confessing their desire. God's dealing with them about their anger, their bitterness, their sexual sins. And they're saying, God, we want you. And it's been going on 24 hours a day for the last, like I said, 11 days. And it's a wonderful thing. I'm so I'm thrilled to see that happen as God has come in on our colleges. And it's been said, I've been reading a lot about it. It's been said that it's spread to other colleges as well. That it is not only a matter of my heart being renewed, but me reaching out. And one of the um, writers who, who's chronicling things that are going on said that in the last several weeks, over 2,000 students have come to Christ all over the country from colleges like the University of Georgia, Minnesota, Texas Tech, Wisconsin, uh, Iowa State, North Dakota State. That God is beginning to move in our young people. Back in 1970, there was a revival, As Asbury revival again. God is saying, I'm coming. I want you to meet me. This generation needs to meet the Lord. This generation needs the Lord. This generation needs to meet the Lord. Are you hungry for him? That's the call, that we would be hungry for God and we would drink of the living water. You're in Psalm, go to Psalm 84, 85, I'm sorry, 85. This is one of the resounding verses that are coming out of that. Uh, where God is touching uh, young people in colleges. This is one of the ones, verse um, 85, verse 6. Will you not revive us again, that your people may rejoice in you? Show us your unfailing love, Lord, and grant us your salvation. They're finding new life in Jesus. They're finding, again, giving all to him. You see those rivers of living water beginning to spring up, and they're coming out. The Holy Spirit is just touching, proclaiming spiritual uh, liberty for people. And I think, uh, I know many of you have been praying for that as well, that God would just begin to move in us. And this is a spiritual dimension. Please understand, this is not man-made. They didn't produce it. There are no superstars. There's not even any superstar worshipers. They have a, a guitar and maybe a, a little beatbox that they have, and that's all they have. And they're just worshiping Jesus. Go online, you can see some and take part of it. But what it is, it's a simple cry of the human heart. He's my comforter and my king, but I, I got to receive that and allow him to work in me. Those rivers of living water. You know, they're, they're not bottled water, by the way. It's, he's just not handing us out Deer Park water. Ivana, just, it's not that kind of thing. It's not even water you gather in a cup. It is his flow of his life out of his people as they get hungry for God. Coming in our future... When Jesus uh, establishes kingdom throne, throne, I want you to go to Ezekiel, Ezekiel chapter 47. Hope you can be able to hang on with me this morning. I have a lot of places to look at. But Ezekiel chapter 47, 
Ezekiel the prophet gave this prophetic look into the river that comes from God, the God, a river that flows from him. Ezekiel 47, verse 1. Ezekiel said, the man brought me back to the entrance to the temple. And I saw water coming out from under the threshold of the temple toward the east, for the temple faced east. The water was coming down from under the south side of the temple, south of, south of the altar. He then brought me out through the north gate and then me around the outside to the outer to the outer gate facing east, and the water was trickling from the south side. As the man went eastward with a measuring line in his hand, he measured off a thousand cubits, and then he led me through water that was ankle deep. He measured off another thousand cubits and led me through water that was knee deep. He measured off another thousand, led me through water that was up to the waist. He measured off another thousand, but now it was a river that I could not cross because the water had risen, was deep enough to swim in. A river that no one could cross. He asked me, son of man, do you see this? Then he led me back across to the bank of the river. And when I arrived there, I saw a great number of trees on each side of the river. And he said to me, this water flows down, flows towards the eastern region. goes down into the Arabah, where it enters the Dead Sea. When it empties into the sea, the salty water there becomes fresh. Swarms of living creatures will live wherever the water flows. There will be a large number of fish because the water flows there and makes the salt waters fresh. So where the river flows, everything will live. I'm at verse 10 now. Fishermen will stand along the shore from the Engedi to the Nephilim and Gleam. There will be places for spreading nets. The fish will be of many kinds, like the fish of the Mediterranean Sea. But the swamps and marshes will not become fresh. They'll be left for salt. Fruit trees of all kinds will grow on both banks of the river. Their leaves will not wither nor will their fruit fail. Every month they'll bear fruit because the water from the sanctuary flows to them. Their fruit will serve for food and their leaves for healing. Now I'm sure as Ezekiel gave that prophecy, everyone said, what are you talking about? You're talking about this vision, Ezekiel, that you see. You're, you're saying there's water that's going to flow out from the temple, from the dwelling place of God. Zion, where God dwells, is going to flow out and it's going to produce, going to grow deeper and deeper, produce life. It's prophetic concerning what Jesus wants to do through us. Remember last week I talked about the river that comes out. The river that comes out doesn't see where it's going to go. It begins to flow. Here it said it was the trickle, got deeper, deeper, deeper. You come back, life is flowing. And that's what God is doing today. I think and he wants to do in me and you that out of us flows a river of life flowing out from me. Oh, by the way, that phrase, river of life flowing out from me. Remember uh, last week Lola and I sang that song? Uh, we have had requests from all over the nation to come and sing that again. Not really. I mean, that was pathetic, right? Well, we just did our best. But anyway, my mom called yesterday. She said, that was so sweet. I said, thanks, Mom. That's all we needed. She's going to book us a couple of places. <laughs> First of all, psych ward over there and then other places. But the issue is that God wants to flow through his people. And, it, and I don't need to see what it's going to be like 10 miles down the road, 50 feet down the road. If, as long as I stay close to the source and allow him, the Holy Spirit, to live out through me, his water's going to flow. That's why as an outsider looking at Asbury Revival, I'm saying, Lord, where is this going to flow? Where is it going to reach? God, what are you doing across the land? Raising up a generation, raising up people. Their people are coming from all over the world to come to that place. Why? They're, they want a touch from God. 
Now, believe me, we don't have to go there to get it. It's right here in us, the Holy Spirit in us. Lord, touch us for that. But Ezekiel's talking about a time that in the very last chapter of your Bible, again, gives that picture. Go there, Revelation 22. Revelation 22. He says in verse 1, Revelation 22, Then the angel showed me the river of water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God, and of the land down, and of the Lamb, down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood a tree of life, bearing twelve crops of fruit, yielding its fruit in every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will serve him. They'll see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. They will need, not need the light of a lamp or the light from the sun. For the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign forever and ever. And that day's coming, and that river's going to flow down through that. Fills our heart with hope, a desire springing up. I hunger for him. I hunger for his water. I hunger for the renewing, the reviving, filling us up. And I'm going to throw a line in here that some of you aren't going to like, but I'm going to throw it in anyway. Filling us up, reviving our hearts, renewing us, and here's the line, as we deny ourselves and take up our cross and follow him. We've got to allow Jesus to have his way, which means that it's not my way, it's his way. Allowing him to do that. Allowing God, not taking hold of things myself, not doing my own plans, my own thing. Allowing Jesus to be Jesus in me. Denying myself. We talked some about that last week. Now I want to go back to water, the natural physical water that God mentions throughout the scripture. He used to demonstrate himself through water. He demonstrated his power. And he spoke in his creation. Listen to him as God spoke. If you get to the very first book of Genesis, we're here in Revelation. We won't go there, Genesis 1. And there were, the spirit hovered over the waters. The waters. Throughout the entire Old Testament and New Testament, we see the waters, the natural physical waters, not the spiritual waters, but the natural physical ones where God demonstrated his power. I, I don't have all of them. Let me repeat some of them for you. It was the sea that parted as Israel left Egypt. It parted for them. They went across on dry ground, and they were rescued and saved from the Pharaoh coming after them. In their journey, Israel's journey in the wilderness, there was water that came from a rock. When they get through, after 40 years, going into the promised land, over the Jordan, the Jordan stopped up, stopped flowing so that children of Israel could go over. At every place, God is showing his hand. There was a time when the waters were bitter, and they were made sweet. Now, Elijah was about to die, and he had his prophet, Elisha, his son, basically with him. And he got to the water, and Elijah put out his cloak, and the water parted, and Elijah and Elisha went across on dry water. Everywhere you see the power of God being demonstrated in the natural water, parting the water. So Elijah and Elisha go off in the journey. I'm, re I'm going through a lot of different stories. If you pick up one and go study it for yourself so you can read what I'm giving this. But after Elisha saw Elijah ascend in a fiery chariot, he came back to the water and he looked at the Jordan, took the same thing, and the waters were parted again. 
again, demonstrating God's power. You know, the waters were poisoned in the, in the book of Kings, and Elisha just uh, dropped salt in the water, and it was healed, and he said these words, I have healed this water. Never again will it cause death or make the land unproductive. Water has remained pure to this day. Water, natural water. Jesus turned water into wine. Jesus walked on the water. And there's another picture I want to show you about water because the water, and I'm going to get to this subject, baptism. Because the natural water, that flow of God, demands something from us as it goes. I want to take you to 2 Kings and talk about a man, 2 Kings chapter 5. 2 Kings chapter 5. 2 Kings chapter 5. I want to talk about a man who had a need. Let me, let me give you the, just the, the basics of this. God demonstrates himself in water, the, how the water works and how it responds. There's nothing inherently about the water that's any good. God is the author and creator of it. But there was a man who was confronted with a great need in his life. He had need. When he was presented with the, the, the action to take on that, his pride said, absolutely not. I will not go down into that water. I'm not doing it. But he said, if you do that, you'll get healed. Finally, his, through a series of events, and we'll look at it in a moment, he responded to that. He submitted to it, and then he was healed, and then he became a worshiper. He was confronted with his need, his pride resisted it. He finally submitted to it, and he was healed, and he became a worshiper. Now, when I get a water baptism, it's going to be the same thing. If I yield myself, dying, uh, buried with him in baptism, raised to new life, it's going to be a confrontation of my will. Am I going to listen to God? Now, let's look at verse 1 of 2 Kings 5, verse 1. Now, Naaman was commander of the army of the king of Aram. He was a great man on the side of his master, Highly regarded because through him the Lord had given victories to Aram. He was a valiant soldier, but he had leprosy. Now the bands of raiders from Aram had gone out and taken captive a young girl from Israel. She served Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, if only my master would see the prophet who is in Samaria, he would cure him of his leprosy. Naaman went to his master and told him what the girl from Israel had said. By all means, go, the king of Aram replied. I'll send a letter to the king of Israel. So Naaman left, taking with him 10 talents of silver, 6,000 shekels of gold, and 10 sets of clothing. The letter that he took to the king of Israel said, with this letter, I'm sending my servant to you so that you may cure him of his leprosy. Now you see the scene. One king says to the other king, you better heal my man. I'm sending him to you. He's got a need. Get it done. Now look what he said, it's verse 7. As soon as the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his robes and said, Am I God? Can I kill and bring back to life? Why does this fellow send somebody to me to be cured from his leprosy? See how he's trying to pick a fight with me? Verse 8. When Elisha, the man of God, heard the king of Israel had torn his robe, he said to this message, Why have you torn your robes? Have a man come to me and he'll know that there's a prophet in Israel. So Naaman went with his horses and chariots and stopped at the door of Elisha's house. Elisha sent a messenger to him. Go, wash yourself seven times in the Jordan, and your flesh will be restored, and you'll be cleansed. But Naaman 
went away angry. He said, I'm not doing it. He said, I thought that he would surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God, wave his hand over me, over the spot, and cure me of my leprosy. Are not Abana and Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than the waters of Israel? Couldn't I wash in them and be cleansed as he turned and went off in a rage? Now, there's going to be God, God going to give you some things that is going to be the point of your deliverance, and you're going to go off in a rage. said, I don't want to do it. I'm not doing that. Why? Because it's going to hit my pride. It's going to hit my behavior. It's going to hit everything about me if I submit to something that's crazy. But you see, God always has a way for us when we submit to him that he's going to bring us into new life. There's something that's going to happen. Let's go on. Verse 13, Naaman's servants went to him and said, My father, if the prophet had told me to do great things, would you not have done it? How much more then when he tells you, wash and be cleansed? So he went down and dipped himself into Jordan seven times, as the man of God had told him, and his flesh was restored and became clean like that of a young boy. Then Naaman and all his attendants went back to the man of God. He stood before him and said, Now I know that there's no God in all the world except in Israel. So please accept the gift. And he said, well, I won't accept any. Verse 17. If you won't, said Naaman, please let me, your servant, be given as much earth as a pair of mules can carry. For your servant will never again make burnt offerings and sacrifices to any other God but the Lord. I will worship him. I'm going to worship God. You see, one of the things that God wants to do in us when he touches us and he changes us, that it becomes a lifestyle of worship now. That I'm not going to go back to the old ways. I'm not even going to allow the old ways to be a part of the new life I have. God wants to do something. He confronts us. Our need is confronted. What do I desire? What do I need? What do I want? Well, then do this. Repent. Do. Obey. And God, uh, obedience will come. And it should result in worship in us that we're forever changed. I want to go to, I'm going to a lot of different, are you still with me? 16 of you are good. The rest of you enjoy your nap. All right, let's go to Luke chapter 3. Luke chapter 3. I'm talking about the matter of God speaking to us and the matter of the baptism or the entrance into what God has for us. Many of us know water baptism. We know about that. But do we live in that? Do we live really in that truth of, of what it means to, to die to Christ? Live for him. I'm going to refer to two places in Scripture. The first one I want to talk about is John the Baptist. Acts chap I mean Luke chapter 3. John the Baptist comes. And he goes out to the wilderness Look down at verse 4, as it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. Every valley shall be filled in, every mountain and hill made low. The crooked roads shall become straight, the rough ways smooth, and all people see God's salvation. John the Baptist came and he preached a gospel or a good news of repentance. He said, there's going to come one, but you've got to get your heart right. You've got to confront this. You've got to deal with this. And John said to the crowds, verse 7, coming out to be baptized in, you brood of vipers, who warns you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. 
that you do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you that even these stones God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. Well, what shall we do then? The crowd asked. John answered this. Verse 11. Anyone who has two shirts should share with the one who has none. And everyone who has food should do the same. Even tax collectors came to be baptized. Teachers said, what shall we do? Don't collect any more than you're required to, he told them. Then some soldiers asked him, what should we do? He replied, don't extort money and don't accuse people falsely. Be content with your pay. The people were waiting expectantly, were all wondering in their hearts if John might possibly be the Messiah. But John answered them all, I'm baptizing you with water, but one is more powerful than I will come. The straps of whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. See, John had a role to play. He was confronting the people. This is your need. Baptism was a place of identifying with that need. I need. And they were making a move. But John didn't said there is one going to come that you need to meet. His name is Jesus. And he's going to set you free. And we know on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, after they heard, uh, saw the, the miracles of the coming of the Holy Spirit and Peter was preaching. And they got to the end of his sermon. He said, well, what should we do? He said, repent. And be baptized in the name of the Lord. Repent of your sins and be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Receive him. In every place, the issue is there. The theme is repeated. If you're in a place of need and you need a Savior, come to Jesus. If you need that, healing is there. Come to be baptized. Come out different. God will sh show you that. And the water is a scene of that. You can see it in scriptures. But there's one more issue that I need to bring about because it's the same picture of going through, going through, coming out. Things about a life change. And it's not just an experience or an acknowledgement of that, but it's really coming to terms with being dead to sin and alive to Christ. The Apostle Paul is going to take all this and he's going to say, now here, let me tell you something about what all that is. It's that your life needs to reflect, as you identify and know these things, to reflect the things of God in your life. It's going to be the new life of resurrection power in life. That river is going to flow clean. Many people ask, I guess, I hope they're asking, how can I get victory? How do I get victory over my anger? How do I get victory in my life? How do I get the joy of the Lord? How do I do anything like that? How can I live to please God? It comes by self-denial. It comes by understanding we're dead to sin, alive to Christ. Go to Romans chapter 6. I have been all over your Bibles, and we're going to come now to Romans chapter 6. I think I'll be in this till the end here. In a passage in the book of Romans... Paul is going to outline some things that they know. He said, you know this stuff. You need to know it if you don't know it, but you know it. And so I'm talking to many of you, you know this stuff. But are you walking in it? Is this part of your life and part of where you are? In verses 1 through 16, we won't read all those, but 
I want to look at several places where Paul says, do you know? Look down at verse 3. Don't you know, there's that word, that all of us who are baptized into Christ have been baptized into his death. Look down at verse 6. For we know that our old self was crucified with him, so our body, so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. Verse 9. For we know that since Christ has been raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. Down to verse 16. Don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, you're slaves to the one you obey, whether it's slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. One of the things that Satan is trying to keep all of us is ignorant. We don't, we, we don't want to know these things. We don't want to walk in the knowledge of what God wants to do in us. We just want to mumble, bumble along and not really get into what God has for us. And he calls us into section, and we'll look at it closer. He said, you need to identify with the baptism. He's not going to use water, but spiritually. He said, this is the picture of baptism. Going through, coming out, dying being raised, that picture of baptism, the operation of the Spirit of God pointing us to Christ in Him. Let's look at verse 6, verse 1. And this is where I think God begins to speak to all of us concerning repentance, being all that God's called us to be. He said, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning that grace might increase? Should we go on living the way we've always lived just so that God can be graceful more and more and more to us? What does he say? By no means. Or absolutely not. Or if I could put in my paraphrase, are you kidding me? Are you saying that you just want to keep going on living that old life you always lived or go back to it, pretending on Sunday but going out living everyone? Do you want to do that? Are you kidding me after what God's done for you and how God has come in your heart and set you free? He said, no, we are those, verse 2, who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Don't you know that all of us who are baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized in his death? That when I gave my heart to Christ, I became involved, identifying, I'm identifying with that he took my sin on the cross into his death. We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death. What is that death? It's the old man is put away. The old life is put away. And now, he said, into death in order just as Christ was raised from the dead, through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. You see, the picture of water baptism, which is why it's so significant in Scripture, is that I am identifying with Christ. I died to myself. I died to sin. And when I come up, I'm identifying with his life, resurrection life. It's an amazing picture. And here, Paul's saying, now look at If you're going to live this way, this is how we live. We live in order that as Christ who was raised from the dead, we may live a new life. And he goes on. He said, for if we've been united with him in a death like his... We will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we shall no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. 
We're dead to that. We're dead to that. I remember one of the first times that I began to understand that. And I could almost put myself in the place where I was when I heard that. It was way up in the upper, cha upper chapel before all this. And I remember having someone standing right there at the, at the wall. And they said, he's dead. He's a standing corpse like they used to do in the old Western movies. They put the guy in the corpse. The undertaker had built the case and he's just standing. Everybody's walking by. I'll never forget whoever was speaking that day. They said, now, parade anything across there you want. Anything. And the individual said, let's take success. Let's take a naked woman. Let's take pornography. Let's take, uh, let's take uh, sports. Let's take anything you want and parade it right across this individual. And now ask yourself the question, do they pay any attention to it? Well, no. Why? They're dead. Don't see it. Why? No life, no life in them. And I remember for myself, I said, wait a minute. If I reckon myself dead to sin, if I act like that, the control that by the power of God within me says that stuff will not be a part of my life. And I can walk with him. How? In newness of life. Because now I'm still alive. Paul said I've been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ in me. And the life I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So he said you're going to walk in newness of life. You can count on it. Let's go down in verse, uh, let me see. Let's go down to verse 11 in the same way. He said, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Now we have to have a different mindset, a different heart change. A different way of living. Don't let sin reign in your mortal body so that you can obey its evil lust. Don't offer any part of yourselves to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been bought, brought from death to life and offer every part of yourselves to him as an instrument of righteousness. For sin shall no longer be your master because you're not under the law but under grace. You see, it's yielding my Myself to him. Let me go back to the very first thing that I said about a group of people that in Asbury, Kentucky, Asbury University, Wilmore, Kentucky, they're saying, God, I want to yield myself to you. I want to give up my life. I want to give up what I've been doing. I want to follow you. I want, I want you to be in me. And I'm participating now. And Lord, I'm confessing my sin. I'm dying to this. I give it to you, Lord. Here it is. And now I want your life. That's what it means to walk in constant revival. Lord, here I am. Have your way in me. And the question we all end up with is that I'm doing that. I've seen the power of God working throughout the water. I've seen all that. But what about the picture of being baptized, buried with him in water, baptized? Jean and I often talk about this and we wonder, are people today walking in the reality of what they may have done in faith, they said, yeah, Lord, I, I've given my life to you, so I want to be, follow you in water baptism. But are they living in the new life? Or do they just revert back to the old? Paul said, don't do it. Absolutely don't do that. Yield your members as instant righteousness. Are you crucified with Christ? You know, it's time for all of us to repent, turn around, go the other direction, giving him your whole body, soul, and spirit to be revived, receive new life. 
Revive my heart, O God. His love, we sang a lot about love this morning. His love that never fails continues to draw you and me into his presence, into his life flow, into his joy, into his peace, into all that he has. But I've got to choose to do that. He said, Holy Spirit, have your way in me. And so today, I'm asking all of us, are you a candidate for more of God? Are you a candidate for letting him have your way in us, in you? Just say, Lord, here I am. I want all that you have for me. I've seen all this stuff. I've seen a man healed. I've seen stuff in the scriptures. But what about right now? Where are we? Just open. Say, Lord, in my life, Lord, be glorified in me. Make that happen. Would you just open your heart to that this morning? Worship team, come on up. Just come and maybe you can just stand with me right now. <coughs> what is God speaking to you about today? To allow him to have his way in you. We need new life. We need the life of God. Fresh, revived hearts. Putting aside not yielding our members that way anymore, but saying, Lord, I'm going to yield myself as an instrument of your righteousness. That by your Holy Spirit, out of me might flow rivers of not de dead, stale stuff, but living water, Lord. Lord, I want you to do that in me. I want you to do that in me. Would you just open your heart to him this morning as we worship him? Mm -hmm.